0: Hello church, my name is Alice and we will now be reading today's passage from three different um, passages Uh, Leviticus chapter four one through 12 Hebrews chapter 10 19 to 25 and Romans chapter 12 one through two please follow along in your own Bible or on the screen up above. Leviticus chapter four one through 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying, if anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done and does any one of them. If it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the bull, uh, blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting and the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting, and all the rest of the blood of the bowl he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all the fat of the bowl of the sin offering he shall remove from it, the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys, just as these are taken from the ox of the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But the skin of the bull and all its flesh with its head, its legs, its entrails, and its dung, all the rest of the bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place, to the ash ash heap, and shall burn it up on a fire of wood on the ash heap it shall be burned up and then second scripture is from hebrews chapter 10 19 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another uh, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then lastly from Romans chapter 12, 1 through through 2.
1: All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome to True North Church. I hope you
2: are doing well today. Uh, If you are new or if this is your first time, we just want to warmly greet you. Uh, My name is Jay. I'm one of the pastoral staff here, and uh, we'll be continuing on our service as we go over uh, just some of the um, passages that we read today and as we talk about uh, worship and what it means for us to be able to come into the presence of God um, by the blood of Jesus. So, uh, a question that I have for you guys right now is this um, Where would you rather be at this very moment than here? um
1: after the after the songs
2: I was like I'm glad I'm here but before the songs I was like I I don't want to be here you know just to be honest right like there's there's like at least eight other places I could I would rather be than here like
1: especially when I woke up I was like, I'd rather stay in bed um I would rather be at a golf course I'd rather be eating brunch
2: um just anywhere but here right um and and for some of you guys I mean you guys might if you're honest with yourself like you might rather be somewhere else right I mean and the idea that we we come to a place on a regular basis um, is sometimes out of done out of habit right uh, I'm so, and and not that it was easy for you to come here I'm sure for some of you guys it was very difficult to come here right maybe you drove from a very long distance uh, perhaps uh, you came you, this is your first time coming to church in a long time so this idea of even going to church and entering into a, a place where you'll be surrounded by people that you don't know it's kind of an awkward situation it can be very difficult uh, perhaps this is like very maybe your, your very first church experience and you're like what am i going to this is is this, is it like is it a concert is it a ted talk is it just like what what is this you know like you don't know what's going on like am i supposed to stand up am i supposed to sit down am i supposed to read what's on the, you know like there's all these like weird rituals that you may not be aware of right so this the idea that we would actually come together on a sunday morning and gather together is is something maybe um not not as normal or culturally normal as we might think but the fact that you are here uh, means that either you have been invited by somebody, or you're used to going to church, or perhaps you're used to coming to this church, and, and it's something that you've done on a weekly basis, uh, something that maybe you grew up doing, uh, something that maybe your parents instilled within you, and it's something that is just some a, a form of habit. Uh, and, and oftentimes we come um, kind of without really thoughtfulness, uh, without really being intentional about it, and it's something where we just say, hey, well, you know, we're gonna go, and then see what happens, and we'll hang out with our friends, and then we'll go back. And so the reason, why I think I, I, the reason why I bring this up is because um, I don't think that coming to church, coming to worship, participating in worship is something that should be done without much thought. Nor should it be something that is done out of guilt. Nor should it be something that is done just merely out of habit. But it is something that we must understand that um, we come together because we are forgetful people. We come together because our, our hearts and our minds are very fickle it's interesting because I can tell you something that happened 25 years ago and like a flipping comment that someone made. And I will be like why do they say that and, I, and, and sometimes like i'm sitting home alone and i'm like Wait, why do they say that to me and you kind of get mad right. But at the same time, like you, you'll forget everything that I the moment you walk out of this room you'll forget about 85% of the things that I have said right? it's weird right. In the same way, like you might have had experiences where you come to Sunday worship or you've been a part of a church where you're like, this is absolutely the reason why we come and you feel so energized. You feel so fulfilled. You feel so edified and encouraged. And then the very next day, you're like, oh, what's going on with my life? You know, we're we're very forgetful. We're very fickle. So the reason why we come together is because God has provided an opportunity and a place where we as people can come into his presence to together be reminded of why we worship to be reminded of the fact that we are able to even come into the presence of God, not by our own standard and not by our own work, but because Jesus has made a way for us. So today, as we talk about worship we're going to talk about just really this idea of what it means for us to have a thoughtfulness or or intentional about being people who are worshipful. To be able to enjoy God, to be able to fellowship with Him, and for us to do that, we're going to look at three different passages, and we, you know, we read uh, three passages: one from the Old Testament, and two from the New. And we're going to see, number one, just the the limitations um, that the Old Testament rituals uh, had in in our worship to God. Then we're going to see how the author of Hebrews describes a full access to the presence of God that is given to us through the blood of Jesus. And lastly, we're going to look at the response or what is the practical ways in which we respond to God in worship. What does that actually mean? So now, first of all, we're going to look at the limitations of our Old Testament sacrifices. Uh, And we read a passage in Leviticus chapter 4. It's describing uh, the sin sacrifices that was offered up by a priest who had sinned unintentionally. Right and and oftentimes when we look at the Old Testament and we look at the rituals and we look at the laws, and especially if you are new or did not grow up in church you're like what what did we just read. Right and even for us, um, we we don't have a Jewish background and i'm going to venture to guess most of us do not have a Jewish background. Nor nor are we, you know, and these are things that happened like thousands of years ago and we're like what is it that we're actually reading. And it can be sometimes confusing to understand. And we can, you know, so it's often, you know, the, the, the step we take is like, you know what, forget the Old Testament. We'll just kind of, you know, we'll, we'll read Genesis and like the stories, but all these laws and rituals, let, let's just kind of like forget about it. Um, but the reality is, is that when we look at the sacrifice of Jesus and the gospel story of Jesus Christ, the Old Testament, and even and especially the laws that we read in Leviticus, are ways for us to get a fuller understanding of the grace of God through what Jesus has done. Now, the author of Hebrews describes the Old Testament laws as shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. So when we think about a shadow, we understand that it is something that we can see, we can, like, you know, when an image or when something casts a shadow, we are able to see the outline of that image. So we can kind of make it out, right? So, like, if you saw my shadow, You'd be like, oh, that's a human being. Not like a rhino, right? That's a shadow of a human being. Probably not an elephant. But if just purely looking at the shadow, you won't know whether I'm wearing a, a skull cap or if I'm bald. You know what I mean? Like you don't know because it's a shadow. Right? And in that same way, a shadow it it's it just kind of. Vaguely gives us a description or an image of what we're to look forward to. And not only that, but a shadow is something that is closely connected to the image. Uh, I remember when Jacob first, my youngest first realized his shadow and he was like trying to run away from it. I'm like, fool, you can't run away from your shadow. It's connected to you. Unless you're Peter, is it Peter Pan? I forget, one of those stories where the shadow disappears, right? But in real life, you can't run away from your shadow. Now, in uh, in that kind of that way, um foreshadowing is a literary device that an author often uses to be able to give a fuller picture of, of the story that he wants to tell right so what you know the author will oftentimes instill within you know his or her story uh, little little tidbits of foreshadowing of what is to come so that the reader can really see the fullness of that story now um i love foreshadowing in movies and books but i never see it at the very moment I only know it at the very end when it's revealed. So now an example of that is the movie Sixth Sense, okay? Uh, this movie came out in 1999. So if you have not watched it yet, I don't feel bad for spoiling it. But if you have not watched it, I you know, highly recommend that you watch it. Uh, I remember watching Sixth Sense and I was like, oh, this is a good movie. It's kind of giving me creepy feelings, right? And then when it's revealed that Bruce Willis is actually dead and he's a ghost and he's talking to the little boy as a ghost, I'm like, what? My mind was blown. And then you go through all the different scenes where it's showing that he you know Bruce Willis is not really alive you're like Oh, my goodness, how did I miss it and because of that I was like this movie is way better than if it did not have these scenes. In that same way, the Old Testament law and the sacrificial system is a foreshadowing of the greatest event that God had ever planned the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross. So now, when we look at the Old Testament, though. What we see is these rituals that are being done in a very precise and deliberate way, because it meant something. So for the priests in Leviticus chapter four they had to uh, prepare an offering often on a daily basis. So uh, they would bring a bull and in this specific instance is talking about a priest who has sinned unintentionally and a priest that sins unintentionally must provide an offering of a bull. So they bring a bull they place their hand upon the bull and what that does is it transfers his transgressions or his sins onto the bull now not not literally but figurative, figuratively and by doing so when the bull is now uh, sacrificed it is as if the payment for that person's sin has been placed upon the bull and the blood was drained they would get the blood and then they would splash it seven times on the veil in the tent of meeting basically for those uh, at this time in leviticus they were worshiping God in the tabernacle. And inside the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Covenant it what it signified was that the presence of God was in that Ark. So in the in, inside the tabernacle, there is the holy place and then there's the holy of holies or the most holy place where you cannot enter unless a sacrifice was made. So when the sacrifice of a bull was made and the priest would dip their hand in it and sprinkle the blood seven times upon that veil, what it is signifying is that there's payment for sin. Now the person can enter into God's presence without fear of death. Then after this, they would sprinkle the um, blood upon the fragrant um, altar. They would pour the blood upon the burnt offering altar. They would take all the the fat and the entrails and the dung and everything else. They would take it outside of the camp and they would burn it there to signify that all the sin and all the impurities of the anaphil has been burned away. And because all the impurities and sin has been burned away,
1: now this priest has access into the presence of God, for he is now purified. But the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter nine verse
2: 22 indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, and and this is why the Old Testament rituals occurred. Right, and then in Hebrews chapter 10 verse four, he says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So we see that there's limitations to this system. That what God has prescribed for the people of Israel was the offering and sacrifice of of animals, bulls, goats, uh, different types of birds, but that this sacrifice was nothing but a foreshadowing of an ultimate sacrifice that was to come. Because these animals had no power and ability to actually take away sin had no ability to actually purify the person offering these sacrifices. So then the question is, is, is why would this be the case? Why did God go through such an ordeal for the people of Israel to actually follow these instructions? Now, um, I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm not a rule follower. And, um, and especially if someone's telling me to do something, that's not actually going to do anything. Like, like, what's the point? Like, God, you're telling me to be very, like, detailed about how I'm going to kill this animal, you know, take out the organs, take out the fat, you know, sprinkle blood seven times on the veil, and then, you know, pour the blood on the, you know, burn offering, take everything outside of the camp, burn it on the, on the, on the ash heap, right, and, and make sure that everything is done in the correct order, and then you're telling me we, I had to do all this even though it actually doesn't take away my sins? Like, well, what was the point of that, right? It almost seems like a, uh, uh, you know, just an overbearing uh, test that God has for us. But I mean, but that's not the case at all. The reason why God instituted this practice of the sacrificial system at this time was because He knew that without some sort of system, that no human being would be able to come into His presence. So even though this system of the Old Testament sacrifice was something that could not fully and eternally take away humanity's sin, that this was just a placeholder so that the people of Israel can still come into his presence to enjoy him and to worship
1: him. God, waiting for the perfect opportunity to send his son, still provided in a way and an opportunity for the people of Israel
2: to come into his presence to enjoy him, to love him, to worship him. And, and that, is, that is how much God desires fellowship with his people. That is how much God desires to be in the presence of his creation and his people. That he would provide this
1: system so that even though it was not perfect, they would still have access to him. And that leads us to our second point.
2: That we do now have full access to the presence of God through Jesus Christ. So now as important as the rituals of sacrifice were for the people of Israel and their relationship with God, uh, we see throughout the Old Testament that God communicates to his people that obedience was something greater than sacrifice. So now in in order for us to understand just kind of the Old Testament sacrificial system, we we have to understand that God was very clear in communicating that he was not just after sacrifice, that he was after obedience. So here's some passages that I want to read for you guys. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 22 says this And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Hosea 6 6, For I desire love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Proverbs 21 3. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now, these passages show that the heart of God is a desire for his people to honor and glorify him through obedience to his will. Right? And, and, and it's not just obedience to rituals and procedures that he's after. Uh, he, what he's really after is that we would actually obey his will, not out of duty, but out of love. Right and going back to the Westminster shorter catechism that we referred to last week, it says that if the chief end of man is to is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, one of the ways that we glorify
1: God is to live a life of obedience. out of love. Now, the unfortunate reality is that we, we are sinful
2: by nature right um, now again doesn't mean that we're as bad as bad can be. It's just that in everything that we do without, without God, without Jesus, um, it is tainted by uh, some, sometimes selfish motives or our own desire for our own, or own well-being. Right? And because of that, there needs to be payment um, in order for God to allow us to, into his presence. Because if, if we are sinful by nature and God is holy by nature, uh, that means he cannot be in the presence of something that is unholy to do so to just look over our sin and to look over our unsin, our unholiness means that he would be unjust his very act or his very nature of holiness requires that people in his presence must also be holy and purified now so there needs to be some sort of payment for god's justice to be satisfied and it says while the blood of bulls and goats were only a temporary solution the ultimate solution comes from the blood of one that is completely innocent, one that was completely obedient. Now, the interesting thing about the author of Hebrews is that he describes the Old Testament sacrificial system, and, and, he, and he shows us um, just how it, fu- it is fulfilled through Jesus Christ, right? So in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, it says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. So the author of Hebrews is making it very, very plain. He's saying the Old Testament sacrificial system, the, the priests never sat down. They were constantly offering sacrifices for the sin of their people, for the sin of the people of Israel. And when one priest got tired and needed, to, needed rest, it would get switched off with, the, with a new priest. And so, this, this office or this, this mediation between humanity and the priest and God was a constant uh, mediation
1: of sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. But Jesus, he says that he offered a sacrifice once and for all.
2: And what is, G, what is the difference between the priest and Jesus? The priests are remaining
1: standing, Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of God because no new sacrifice needs to be made.
2: Now, in Hebrews 10, verse 5, the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 46 through 8 and says this, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burn offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written within my heart. So now, the reason why I, I, I want to kind of slowly bring this and draw this out is this oftentimes when we think about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ right and, and 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 the and the way in which he now gives us full access into the presence of God, we often look at sacrifice as giving up
1: of something.
0: Right?
1: We often look at sacrifice as as you know him giving up his life. But when we really look at you
2: know all the different cross references and the and the different passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we read that God doesn't require sacrifices, what he desires is obedience. So we we you know we we look at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross and his resurrection, and we highlight that so often, but we fail to see that the reason why his sacrifice and his resurrection was so important is because he is a life of full obedience to God.
1: Without Jesus' life of obedience, his sacrifice is no different than the blood of a goat. Without his full obedience to God, his, he would not have been resurrected because he would have been human just like us. Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, meant that he would do the
2: will of God at any cost. Right, even before his uh, arrest at the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's praying to the point where blood is coming out of, his, out of his pores, he says, "My
1: God, take this cup from me." Right, and what does he say? But not as I will, but as you will. May your will be done. So the access that we have in the presence of God is through Jesus because of his perfect obedience.
2: And I think so often. We, 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 we see the sacrifice, and instead we think, oh, my goodness, if Jesus were to give up his life for me, then what must I give up, right? And we think about, oh, I need to give up more of my time. I need to serve more. I need to give up my energy. I need to give up, you know, I need to give up uh, uh, HBO Max. You know, I need to give up drinking. I need to give up smoking. You know, like we think about all these things like, oh, what God? and God's like, I don't care what you give up. I'm not asking you to give up things like as if I needed anything from you. He's saying, what I want is I want you to live a life of obedience out of
1: love in the same way that my son did. The same way that my son did. And so now at this very point, if I was sitting there in that seat, and, and I might have said this, and
2: I might have taught this as well. This is the point where the preacher goes, and now if Jesus gave up all this for you, why can't you give up one hour on Sunday? And you're like, oh, guilty, you know, like, and you feel guilty, right? But that's not the point at all. Right? Because what God is
1: communicating here is this, that he is willing to give up the most precious thing, his only begotten son, so that he can enjoy your presence and that you can enjoy his. He was willing to give up the most precious thing in his life,
2: his very only begotten son, because his love for us was so great
1: that he desired to prepare a way for us to worship him and to enjoy him. Now, um, as a parent, when I hear um, one of my kids say they like something, I end up buying way too much of it.
2: You know, so my daughter, when she was a toddler, um, she really liked strawberries. So guess what I packed for her lunch every day for like four years? Strawberries, just, you know, just strawberries, you know. um, My youngest, he loves um, the Costco taquitos for breakfast. So um, on a weekly basis, I I buy a box and every day for breakfast, he gets taquitos, you know. Um, I recently bought uh, Trader Joe's ube mochi pancake mix um thinking that my kids won't like it and I can eat it all but they love it you know and now they have to eat it for breakfast twice a week you know and, and it, it just even my mom you know like about three months ago I told her that I really enjoyed a soy sauce marinated crab okay um, I've been home four times since then and guess what I've had to eat like every single day soy sauce marinated crab you know, when I was younger I would be like, "Mom, stop it. I don't I don't like this anymore," right? But but now that I'm older I'm realizing, "Oh, like she's doing this because she wants me to enjoy being in her presence." And she's willing to, you know, like she'd rather me stay at, at her place and eat soy sauce marinated crab like three three meals in a row than for me to go out and get something to eat because she wants me to be with her. In that same way, the access that God is providing through Jesus Christ It's not because he wants to lord it over us and make us feel guilty and say, look at everything that I went through for you guys now. How dare you not respect me during this time of worship? He's saying, no, I went through all this because what I desire is for my children
1: to enjoy me, to love me, and to desire to obey me, not out of sacrifice and duty, but out of love. This is the type of relationship that God desires from us in worship. So lastly, let's look at our response, what should our response be. Um, now, knowing the sacrifice that was made by Jesus uh,
2: that it gives us full access to God and God's presence in worship. I, I think it's very important for us to think well, then, how should we respond to him right the passage that we read in Hebrews uh, says that we, we are to do this right we come into the presence of God with full confidence. Right and we draw near to him and that we need to you know not forget gathering together meeting together to encourage one another. Right to to love and good works. so there's there's a desire for God to want us to come collectively together as a community corporately to worship him and then in Romans apostle Paul gives us very practical ways in which we worship. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living
1: sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, I, number one, what does it mean for us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices? Um, I was always confused
2: by this passage, and you know, it was, it was difficult for me to admit because I was a pastor. You know, I should know what this means. I'm like, what is it? What is a living sacrifice? right and this idea it always pointed back towards kind of guilt right like well jesus is going to give up all this for you then what are you going to give up for him right if jesus is going to give up all this for you then what are you willing to sacrifice for him so it all became a thing of obligation and duty like i need to give up more of my time i need to give up some of my my leisure i need to give up some of the things that i enjoy doing you know and and the ultimate sign of me sacrificing for god is that easter oftentimes comes during master's weekend you know, and if you guys are not golf fans, like that's the greatest event in golf. And there are some Sundays where it, it land the last day of the Masters lands on Easter Sunday and it happened this week or this year. I'm like, oh, it's okay, God, I sacrificed the Masters for you. You know, like you're the only master that I need. You know, like but i I don't think this is purely what Paul has in mind. Because, again, throughout the Old Testament and even throughout the New, what it says is that God does not desire sacrifice, he desires obedience. So when we think about a living sacrifice, he's saying you're alive. And then when you think about the sacrifice of bulls and goats and animals,
1: uh, what was being done to them? Before they are killed, what is being done? They are being led to a place that they have no idea where they're going,
2: right? Maybe, maybe animals know when they're being slaughtered, but even then, they, they have no choice. They're being led. And, and then what happened to Jesus as the sacrifice, the Lamb of
1: God? He is being led to a place where he did not want to go. Right? He said in his own words, you can't let this cut pass. But ultimately, what was his response? But not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is the main example
2: of one who offers his body as a living sacrifice. Meaning that he would live his life in complete obedience to God, no matter
1: where he leads us. And for many of us, we are experiencing perhaps being in places you do not want to be in.
2: Maybe you're going through things that you do not wish to go through. Whether it's difficulty in your families and your relationships and your jobs, right? You know, someone said this uh, recently. Like, the 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 best and worst feeling is like having a job and not having a job. Or the two? Oh, no, sorry, I got that wrong. The two worst feelings is having a job and not having a job, right? Because when you have a job, you're like, I hate this job, and when you don't have a job, you're like, I need to find a job, right? And and, and you're probably all in that situation. Not all. A lot of you guys might be in that situation, and you're like, Why am I in this? I don't like this. You might be in a situation or circumstance where you're having difficulty understanding your family or or your loved ones. And you're like, why is this happening? And God is saying, I will lead and guide you to a very place where you might be the most uncomfortable, to the valleys that you are not prepared for, for the hardships that you are not looking
1: for. And your response and obedience to me is a spiritual act of worship. God does not care how much money you give to the church. God doesn't care how much time you're sacrificing if your heart is not a heart of obedience.
2: And so this is what he says. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It means we are offering ourselves to be fully and completely obedient to God. And and then Apostle Paul says that this is a holy and acceptable and spiritual worship. This word spiritual um, is some translations will translate it reasonable. Uh, it's, it's where the word where we get the word logical from or logic. So when he says that this is your spiritual act of worship, he's saying this is a rational worship. This is a reasonable worship. And, and, and he's not saying rational and reasonable and logical in that not worshiping God is illogical. Uh, it's, it's actually talking about the opposite of mechanical or, or habitual. So he's saying when, you are giving, when you're offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, this is a thoughtful worship. This is an intentional worship, not one that is mechanical and
1: habitual and without thought. And, and let's be honest, for many of us, we come to worship very mechanically. We, we,
2: we come to Sunday service without much thought and intention. You know, we, we have like a, you know, two-minute time to prepare our hearts, but before that, we probably weren't preparing our hearts, right? We probably came just because we came. Many of us come, you know, and we're five minutes late, but we'll stop, still stop by Verve and get coffee and then come, you know, because it's not really intentional. It's very mechanical, and he's saying that, idea of being mechanical is unacceptable but the idea of being intentional and thoughtful that is what pleases god next he says do not be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind and this is where we understand that um, transformation is something that occurs uh, to our whole being not just to parts of us Um, I I had the opportunity to show my kids Transformers, the movie last night, um, the 1986 cartoon, okay, which is the best Transformers movie you'll ever see, right? Um, It was traumatic. I was like six years old, and then Optimus Prime died, you know? Oh, spoiler alert, but not really, because it's like 30 years old. They killed Optimus Prime, you know, like, who does that to children? Anyways, um, I showed it to him, and then it was interesting because they saw Unicron, It's a big planet like oh that's stupid it's just a planet and then at the end of the movie turns into a freaking robot right and like oh he turned into a whole robot like his whole thing changed that's what that's what transformation is. Right. I know that was a weird weird thing right, but it went from a planet to a robot right that's transformation. When he says do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What God is saying is, what I am after is for you to be transformed into my likeness. Because the world says, I'm going to live my life not according to obedience to the will of God, but according to my own will. But transformation means that we will live according to the will of God.
1: And as we do so, we will be changed to become more and more like Christ. We come to worship oftentimes to knock off or to check off our to-do list,
2: we may do so to maybe feel a little better about ourselves. But the very moment that you feel the sense of the Spirit saying, there's something in your life that needs to change, we are so resistant. We are so
1: resistant. Because there are things in this culture now that are very contrary to what the will of God teaches. And we are unwilling to be transformed towards his will. And lastly, um, we must also test and discern the will of God. And I think this is also
2: where we understand that worship is very active. it's It's something that we participate in, not something that is just done to us. To test the will and discern the will of God, we must understand the word of God. We must understand what he's teaching. We must understand what he is leading us towards. It is something that we must understand and
1: decipher, is this actually what God desires for us in our lives? And it's a muscle that we must develop because oftentimes we
2: sit, we listen, and we have no idea, and that might be my fault too. You have no idea what the guy's talking about, right? Or, or our mind just wanders, and so we have to develop that muscle to understand that we, in order for us to renew our minds and be transformed, we must also actively search the word of God and see what is his will for us.
1: And, and I'll, I wish it was true I wish this was enough, but 30 sometimes 35 sometimes 40 40 minutes on Sunday is not enough for us to decipher the will of God right. I watched four episodes of Community last night okay that's a show from like 15 years ago that's 80 minutes. Of me just watching right, and that was so easy for me to do it was so funny. If you told me to sit down and read the Bible for 80 minutes straight I don't know if I could do it. You know, because we have atrophied
2: our muscles to a point where seeking and discerning the will of God has become so difficult. That's why we need to come together in a place like this to be reminded of what true worship is.
1: Now with that, we're going to continue in
2: our service with um, the sacrament of Lord's Supper or communion.